All right, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Can't believe it. Next time we're in Timothy, we'll be in chapter 4. And last week, when we started 1 Timothy 3.16, we basically got through the first third of the verse, and we'll cover the next two thirds today, uh, because we looked at, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And Paul had just talked about the the roles of elders and deacons and their qualifications and so forth. And, and then he talked about how the church is a pillar and support for the truth and what have you. And, and then he talks about this common confession, which many believe is reference to a common confession that Paul was already being used and that Paul was led the Holy Spirit to bring that confession forward here. We don't know for sure. We know it's at the very latest. It's right here and maybe penned for the first time. But it was Paul summing up a common confession that was already used. That great is the mystery of godliness. You know, what's the mystery of godliness? And we talked about that last week, so I'm not going to get all into that. But he kind of explicates what that mystery is in the following verses. He who was revealed in the flesh. And we spent 90% of our time, probably last service or so, about how Christ was revealed in the flesh. And uh, I think it was an eye-opener for a lot of, lot of us, you know, because we talked about Christ being revealed in the flesh, and Paul's emphasis that we have to understand that God did really become a man. Amen. That in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? And everything was made by Him, nothing came to be but by Him. And then in verse 14 of John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I have a little note to self here, quick review of 316a, that's last week's message. But I don't want to go into, a, I, when I wrote quick review, I thought I got to stick to quick review because I don't want to go through all those scriptures. But uh, I want to encourage you, if you missed that message, it's a message I really believe you need to hear because it was, uh, I think, surprising to a lot of people, all the verses we pulled together in First and Second Timothy showing that First and Second Timothy are written largely against uh, Gnosticism. They're definitely dealing with some Judaism in chapter 1 and elsewhere perhaps, but also a Gnostic tendency that was already threatening the church. And I quoted Irenaeus, the early church father, and I quoted Tertullian, who both quote 1 Timothy, right, as to support and how Timothy was refuting at least an early form of Gnosticism. These are early church fathers, Tertullian a little bit later than Irenaeus. And I even point out to you that Irenaeus' work was against heresies, a subtitle, if you want to call it a subtitle. It was against that which is falsely called knowledge or gnosis, which are the words specifically taken for 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Remember that? So we got into all that, and it's a blow mine because he was defending the church against Gnosticism, and he saw Paul using that language and adopted it himself in his refutation, five books against Gnosticism, which was so important to understand because today, when we're coming against the occult and the New Age movement today, right, and even Satanism, it's rooted in ancient Gnosticism. So if you want to understand what we're going through when we're battling Hollywood and, 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 and the, the, the musicians and everything out there that are talking, and Crowleyism and everything being inverted and so forth, and Yahweh being evil and the devil being good, that all goes back to the Gnostics. So it's, it's very eye-opening when you check it out. It's very relevant to what we're going through today because we're to use the same scriptures that Paul used. Amen that the Lord gave us to fight that, that spirit back then. So it's very relevant, a lot of application to our own walks with Jesus when you're talking to someone that's into Wicca or into Crowleyism or Satanism or into the occult, astrology, palm reading. It's all over the world right now. Fastest growing religion, some articles state, is witchcraft in our nation right now. Uh, I would say it's one of the fastest, but it's growing way too fast. But now I want to look at the next parts of these verses. So this common confession begins with he was what? He was revealed in the flesh, amen? God did become a man, amen? amen. And then the next part of that confession that we read, he was what? Well, well, that's there too, but, or yeah, and the NASB was vindicated by the Spirit, right? And justified and vindicated can have the same meaning. Vindicated means uh, to be proven right, to be proven truthful, to be proven correct. He was vindicated, proven to be who he is by the Holy Spirit. So he's revealed in the flesh as a God-man, right? All these prophecies about how the Messiah would come. 
And then how he'd be risen from the dead, even his own prophecies about his resurrection, right? That he'd send back to the Father. He was vindicated by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's awesome because the Holy Spirit is alive and well on planet Earth today, and he's still vindicating his son. But in what ways did he vindicate the Holy Spirit that is vindicate Jesus? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead. We, as Orthodox Christians, I don't mean we belong to the Greek Orthodox Church or something like that, but Orthodox meaning sound Christians, uh, we believe that uh, in the Trinity, the triunity of God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, amen, one God. And we need to, we need to defend the gospel. We need to defend the deity of Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit, of course, the divinity of the Father, as three persons, one God. Three distinct persons that self-exist together, right? Co-eternal, amen? And, uh, and, and uh, they play such an important part in our salvation. But it's really interesting when you look at Jesus' life and how the Holy Spirit vindicates Jesus throughout his ministry. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, amen? But it's interesting, he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3.16, in his baptism, we read one of those such vindications. It says, uh, he, uh, he, when he was had been baptized in Matthew 3.16. Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he, and he saw the what? The Spirit of God, amen, descending like a dove and alighting upon him, amen. That's, that's a powerful witness of the Messiah. Uh, and then we read also uh, that he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit at his resurrection, when he rose from the dead. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 33, we read, This Jesus God had raised up, of which we all are witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out his, uh, this which you now see and hear. So the, after he rose from the dead, right, he breathed on the disciples. He said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost came some days after that, weeks after that, and then the Holy Spirit had come in power upon the entire church. And, but also the resurrection itself in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, in some of Paul's, 3 and 4, Paul's introductory words, it says that he, speaking of Jesus, was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So his resurrection vindicated that he's the Son of God, amen? If he claimed to be the Son of God, and Jesus is like, you know, before Abraham was, I am, you know. Are you the Messiah? I am he, right? I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and so forth. It makes all these declarations, right? Yet, and he says he'll rise again, yet he doesn't rise again, right? On the third day, there'd be no evidence that he was the Son of God, amen? But all these folks, you know, saw his, the resurrected Christ, Right? Paul said most of the 500-plus witnesses were alive in his day, right? So he's vindicated by the Holy Spirit through his resurrection. By the way, and I love this, and, and I think this is something that you want to tuck away or you want to write down in notes if you haven't already, is we know that God raised him from the dead. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says that, quote, God raised, that is Jesus, raised him from the dead. Romans 10, 9, a very popular verse. If you confess with your mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Amen? So who raised Jesus from the dead? God raised him from the dead. Now it's interesting. God raised him from the dead, yet we just talked about God. Who is God? He is a he's triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? And this is a great thing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses. Because usually when you're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses or other cult members, a lot of cults deny the deity of Christ. But a lot of them mess with the resurrection, too. So Jehovah's Witnesses will say that Jesus did not rise bodily, that he just rose a spirit being. He's just a spirit, a risen spirit, you know, and, and, and that, you know, and so forth. And it's interesting because when we say God rose him from the dead, it's interesting. God rose him from the dead. If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, you, and, and you, if, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, who is God? Well, we know God the Father. Amen. God the Father definitely rose Jesus from the dead. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. This is like so incredibly clear that God the Father rose him from the dead. In fact, when you're there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you can actually begin at around verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you 
and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He, that is God, God of the Son, that would be the Father, you wait for the living and true God and to wait for His Son who, from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Aren't you grateful that God, that Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come? We deserve wrath, right? Praise God, Jesus took our wrath. He took that cup. We did a whole, whole message recently on that, him taking that cup for us, amen? He rescues us from the wrath to come. So we know God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. We know God did, but we also know that Jesus rose himself from the dead, amen? How do we know that? Well, they're one of the same God, but three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus prophesied that to the Jews. He said, remember John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21? Destroy this temple, and then what did he say? And three days I'll raise it back up. Amen. And in case the Jehovah's Witnesses didn't understand what he's saying there, it says he spoke of the temple of his body in verse 21. It's real clear. Amen? Amen. I love that. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Father, that by your Spirit you make it very clear. You know, and I love John 10, guys, John 10, 18. No one takes from me, <laughs> uh, my life from me, he says, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. But this is awesome, too. Father rose from the dead. Jesus rose himself from the dead. But who else rose him from the dead? Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And we've already seen in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, now 1 Timothy 3, 6, it says that he was revealed in the flesh, but it says he was vindicated, proven to be who he said he was by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we're seeing the Holy Spirit testify from the heavens. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or the, the father testifies. Isn't that interesting? The father testifies. Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit falls upon him like a dove. But we see that Paul specifically says that he was, but that the Holy Spirit vindicated him also through the resurrection and we see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, if you want to turn there. And you can turn to Romans 6. If you don't get there in time, don't worry. Just go to Romans 8, because I'm going to use that too. Verses 10 and 11, it says, The Spirit of God who raised, the Spirit of God, that is the Spirit of God, that is the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Isn't that a beautiful promise too? That we have life given to us by the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. And I didn't want to give away my future Resurrection Sunday message, but you know the Italian scientists that study the Shroud of Turin trying to understand how the image was appeared, and they realized there's no way it was painted or anything else. And they're saying it was put there by like an explosion, like a radioactive explosion of light. That's so powerful. And they, and they tried to mimic it. And they were able to mimic it and get a little tiny little dot Barely, you know, with all kinds of energy it took them to use to make that little dot. And they, they, they said, you know what, it would take energy comparable with that of the sun to explode and do it very quickly because it would incinerate the cloth to leave that image on there. That's a blow of mine. I'm stealing my thunder for my next Resurrection Sunday message, maybe. We'll see. But that's just mind-boggling, you know, the power that was there in his resurrection. Now, it's interesting because that same power, the same Holy Spirit lives in us, the one who created the universe. And we know all three of them were involved in creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? The Word was God, the Word was, and then everything was made by him, nothing but by him. But we see the Father and Son there in John 1. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, well, God says, let there be light. Who is hovering over the waters? The Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters. And it says in the book of Job that he sends forth his spirit and they are created. So they're all involved in creation. They're all involved in the resurrection. Romans 8.11 says this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ or raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now that's a lot like, uh, a lot like uh, Romans 6, 10, and 11. Now, it's interesting that we have this, the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, this is what's interesting, too. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all involved in your salvation. Amen? amen. The Father called you. Amen. Nobody come to me unless the Father draws him. Amen. He sends his Son. In fact, the Son is definitely involved in your salvation. Amen. Yep. John three sixteen. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the Holy Spirit is radically involved in your salvation too, amen? Because just earlier in John chapter 3, remember Nicodemus? He said, Jesus, we know. He's the teacher of Israel. We know you're from God. Nobody can do these miracles unless he's from God. And he wants to talk about Jesus' miracles. And Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. He cuts right to the chase. And that's one thing we learn when we learn about witnessing. One thing we learn from Jesus a lot of times is a lot of times people want to argue about things. Sometimes they just want to argue. And you can get into things. Get into, I love theological debates. I love apologetics and so forth. But sometimes I just cut to the chase. I learned that one time because I witnessed to one guy for hours. We went to a New Age you know, convention over in Orange County with booths everywhere. We had our own booth. I spent a few hours talking to one guy. And it took me a while. I was a young Christian. I'm like, Lord, I just spent all my time spinning my wheels. Maybe, who knows, you know, maybe the seeds that were planted, he came later. But he was so resistant, didn't want to listen at all. And I thought, man, I could have been planting seeds and witnessed to all kinds of people. So sometimes we need to just cut to the chase. Okay, this person is listening. You might just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to tell you, man. Deep down, you know you're a sinner. Deep down, you, you know you're guilty. Only Jesus died to forgive you and rose again, and you need to be born again to enter God's kingdom. And I love you, man, but I got to move on. You know, you got to sometimes just lay it out, you know? Or like, Jesus, they went, Jesus, were these guys more wicked than these guys over here? And Jesus like, do you think they're more wicked than those? He goes, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Boom, just <clears throat> cuts it right to the chase, you know? And I love that. So I've learned sometimes, and sometimes I witness in a lot of pickles where, not pickles, but I only got a little bit of time. I'm passing somebody, I'm going, or something like that, and I'm just, I'll just leave a zinger, you know? And it, I'm, sometimes I'm thrilled, like, that guy's strange, what did you say? <laughs> you know? But hey, at least I'm planting a seed, amen? You know? But I try to be playful and, you know, a little bit, but try to leave truth, you know? Tracks are so vi valuable that way, that's why you want to, we always have all kinds of free tracks out there, you guys. Yeah. Grab a bunch of free tracks that are passed out, you know? When you're in different places, I, I try to always have tracks and, and videos and, you know, or CDs in my car to pass out. Uh, DVDs, I should say, and what have you. Uh, so let's always try to be witnessing. But the Father sends a son, but unless you're born again, you want to enter the kingdom. But then Nicodemus is like, what? I've come out of my mom's womb again? He's probably being facetious. And Jesus says, unless you're born of water and spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So part of the salvation experiences are the new birth that we have by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he's like Nicodemus, and he said, you being the teacher of Israel, shouldn't you know these things? You know, you should know these things, Nicodemus. And he says, if you can't understand earthly wisdom, how can you understand heavenly wisdom? Because Nicodemus knew, he should have known, in Ezekiel, it talked about the coming new covenant in Jeremiah and so forth, and that God would take their stubborn, hard hearts of stone and turn them to hearts of flesh. Amen? Amen. And prior to knowing God, we wanted to do our own will. And part of us want to do what's right, like Romans 7, but, you know, we constantly fell short. But when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he, he, the play, part he plays in salvation is along with the Father, he draws you, he woos you, he convicts you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, your need for him, your need for forgiveness. Amen? All these things. And then we respond to the call and the witness of the Spirit And then when we respond and say, yes, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. We believe in our hearts that, that he is Lord. We, you know, we confess with our mouths he's Lord. We believe God rose him from the dead. Then we're saved. Then what happens? The Holy Spirit enters into our hearts. Amen? Yeah. We're born again. We're regenerated. We become new creations in Christ. Amen? Amen. And it's just such a beautiful thing. So the Holy Spirit has a huge role in, in, in that, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God working in our lives to whatever degree you've seen him work in your lives, or collectively in the church, he works in the body. And it, it happens all over the world. The Lord, God, the Lord God works. People are being saved left and right. It's, it's more vindication of who Jesus is, amen, as we see the prophecies continue to be fulfilled, even as Jesus said they would. Now, it's interesting. Uh, 1 John 5, 7 says this, For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. And Jesus' blood that was shed for us is a witness of who he was. Amen? Okay. He came, prophesied to come, and John the Baptist would pave the way for him. He was baptized by John. And the Holy Spirit testifies of who he is. But next it says on the list in 1 Timothy chapter 3, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. This, this great confession, he was 
revealed in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. And then what? Seen by angels. Do you realize that almost every significant aspect of Jesus' life that that's just stands out? And they all stand out. I shouldn't say that. But the, most, the ones that stand out the most, you see angels. You see angels there. Whether good angels or fallen angels, usually good angels. Remember uh, Hebrews 1.6 says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. How about his birth? We just celebrated Christmas a few months back. Well, it wasn't a few months. Now it's almost six, right? Time just flies, man. Man, if you're young, you're like, that seemed like ages ago. Yeah, but you get older. Seemed like yesterday, right? But there was a heavenly choir that appeared. Remember that? At his birth, announcing his birth to the shepherds. We read in Luke 2.13, and suddenly there appeared uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That would be a trip. Can you imagine a multitude of angels just, and you're these shepherds thinking, man, we do all this work and, you know, we're kind of forgotten or whatever your lot in life is. And then, and it's all being announced to you by angels. So they were at his birth. They were at his temptation in the wilderness. In fact, we read in Mark 1.13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Isn't that a trip? So he's out there, man, facing off with Satan in the wilderness. Wild beasts are there. Remember, he's, he's God, but he's also man, right? And he's, he's suffering also as a, as a man. And all of a sudden, there's these wild beasts. I think it's interesting. There's wild beasts there, but guess what? There's angels there with him. And who knows? Perhaps they even protected him from lions or whatever was out there, you know? happened before, right, in the Old Testament. Uh, also, there was an angel there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, we had a message uh, not too long ago when we, a Good Friday message. Remember that cup we talked about that he had to take for us if we were going to be saved and how he almost died? And we looked, went to Hebrews 5 and it says that it was, he, was, he was weeping loudly, right? If you haven't heard that message on the cup of wrath, I did one on that years and years and years ago. I decided to revisit that, and it's always a little different. But we find out in Hebrews 5 that he was heard by God and delivered from death because of his piety. And I pointed out to you, going back to the gospel in, in Luke and elsewhere, we see that, he's, that blood is coming out of him because with his sweat, the capillaries break. And what's happening? Do you remember what was happening? He's crying out to God, and he said to his disciples that I am what? Sorrowful unto the point of death. He cries out, and God heard him and delivered him from the, the incredible anxiety, which is the concept of dying for the whole world and actually realizing that this is going to happen and Satan trying to kill him probably in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet the Father hears him. And what's amazing about this is we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is, uh, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Wow. Then when he dies on the cross, where does he go? He makes a descent into Hades. Amen? Not to die for our sins, right? But to deliver the captives and set them free uh, because you could not have access to heaven. Okay? And a lot of people... If you're a newer believer, a new Blessed Hope Chapel, a lot of people miss this, but it's very clearly taught in Scripture. It says in Ephesians 4.9, Now this expression, he descended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? So Jesus descended, it says, into the lower parts of the earth. And remember, he says, As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be where? In the heart of the earth. Amen. Yet we know he didn't go to heaven after he rose yet. Because he tells Mary, quit clinging to me. I've not yet what? Ascended to my Father. He hadn't yet been to the Father. Yet he was in paradise. He tells the thief on the cross, the one that repents, I tell you today you'll be with me where? In paradise, right? So what's going on? What's, what's, he, what's he doing? Well, guess what? He's doing a couple different things. All those believers... The Abraham and so forth, they had not yet been to heaven. We know that because when the thief dies, he says, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, where was paradise? 
Well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, he talked about a rich man that died, and he lifted up his eyes in Hades, and he was in torment. But on the other side, right, of the gulf, there was the good side called Abraham's bosom, where Abraham was in Hades. When we think of Hades, people think, confuse it with hell. Hell comes later. Hades is a holy, a holy facility, and it held the righteous and the wicked. Okay? And then, uh, you know, that's, remember the rich man? His, Send Lazarus over here. Have him dip his finger in water and stick it on my tongue, for I'm in torment. Because the rich man, Lazarus, was begging to get just a, a, a little crumb from him. Now he's trying to get a little drop of water from Lazarus. Isn't that weird? Interesting. And I thought it was always interesting that Lazarus' name is mentioned. God knows his name. The rich man's name is forgotten. Don't try to make your mark in this world, man. Everything will be forgotten, man. Was a prophet of man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul, amen? Be right with God, right? Please, God, live for him. And it's just interesting because so they're in that holding tank under the earth and you can't yet go into God's presence. And we know that from the veil of the temple, right? Nobody could go in the holy place, the holiest of holies, except the what? The high priest once a year. Couldn't even hang out there. Yet what happened with Jesus died on the cross? What happened to the veil that separated the holy holies from everybody? Ripped from top to bottom. That's God ripping it. Okay, we see that. So now we have access to God's presence. And when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now we don't go to Hades. And Jesus evacuated or just set them free from Hades. That's why we read this. Listen to this in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to who? The spirits now in prison. So when this is written, he made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Okay? And that's the fallen angels. How do we know that? Because that's the, there's different fallen angels. There's fallen angels that are working with Satan right now, like Satan himself. But there's also fallen angels that uh, the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men that are incarcerated in a place called Tartarus and so forth. Jesus went into the spirit world. He made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who, it says, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Interesting. During the construction of the ark, in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Notice it doesn't say he saved these spirits out of there. He said the spirits that are now in prison, they're still there. But Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following, says that he set the captives free, though. The, the, the souls that were there still separated from God because of sin, but he died for their sins on the cross, right? Sin was just covered by the animal sacrifice, but now Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world, amen? amen? And now they go to be with the Father in heaven. Can you imagine that? You die before the cross, you have your hope Messiah, you're in Abraham's bosom, and it's praise God, there's water there that's called paradise, it's beautiful, but better things are coming, amen? And now, and then all of a sudden the Messiah dies, Bill of Temple is rent. Christ goes into Hades, makes his proclamation to the spirits that I am victorious. You did not keep me. The gates of hell did not prevail against me. Or whatever he said, amen. He's like, you guys who've been captive here for thousands of years, perhaps many of them, right? Here we go. Right? And then we read in Matthew chapter 27, man. It says, uh, many of those who slept in the dust, when Jesus rose from the dead, it says many of their bodies came up from the graves. And they appeared and, and, and went to their, their folks, their, fa their families, I'm sorry, and visited them. Now, sometimes because of these stupid, uh, you know, living, or these, these, you know, living dead movies, right, yeah. and shows, you're probably, some of you the picture like, Mom, I'm here, you know, <laughs> let me in, it's me. And it's not like that at all, man. In fact, it's like the dead person is like, Grandpa, she looks better than the 20-year-olds, you know. She's probably beaming and just <laughs> lit up, you know. I don't know. What it was, I hope there's videotape of that. That's going to be pretty radical, you know? So there was a foretaste, you know? And then, uh, so this is really radical. But notice that these spirits, he proclaimed victory to the angelic, the fallen angels. So it's quite interesting. You see over and over again. And then this was a public thing. Because listen to Colossians 2.15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. 
and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So all those decrees, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, that you've broken, that we've broken, all that, that, everything that was written against us. Well, the placard up above him was written against him, but it wasn't against him because he was the king of the, king of the Jews, amen? So he wasn't dying to pay for the, his sins. He didn't sin. Everything that was against us, boom, was nailed to the cross. It was satisfied. Everything we owe, boom, man, he died in our place, right? He was ta- it was taken out of the way, having been nailed to the cross. When he had disarmed, listen to this, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through, the, through him. Amen? So the principality is the power of Satan, man. The Bible says that we had the fear of death all our lives. It says when Jesus became flesh and blood, it says he partook of flesh and blood. They might deliver those who had the fear of death all their lives from the power of Satan, who had power over death. So Satan had power over us. Remember when Adam and Eve, they succumbed to him, and he became their god of this world. Okay? God, the god of the universe still rules, but now we were under his power. Well, when people put their faith in him, God saved them, but he couldn't bring them to his kingdom until Christ paid for their sins. And now he triumphs over these angels. So we're seeing angels everywhere. We see angels at his, at his, his glorious resurrection, right? Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven. Yep, and it says, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I love that. That's a pretty cool angel, right? That's a big, you know, you can't just roll a stone with angels. Let's get kicked back up here, you know. He's just looking around. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. And his countenance was like lightning. He had the best attire you could have to, you know. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and he became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. That's just glorious. And you know what? We also see angels. We're seeing angels everywhere, huh? With regard to Jesus' life. We see them at his ascension. When he ascends up back to the Father, so he's risen from the dead. So he's, there he is at, at his birth, right? They're at the temptation in, in the wilderness. They're in Gethsemane, strengthening him, right? You know, he, they're, they're in Hades. He's rebuking the fallen ones. He's triumphing over them. At the resurrection, there's, you know, it's over and over again. And then, guess what? At his ascension. Uh, you might want to go here. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 9, because I think it's just instructive. And, uh, and it says, in Acts chapter 1, uh, we read, and after he had said these things, and that's after he commissioned them to go to the uttermost parts of the world, right? And the Holy Spirit would empower them. And after he had said these things, he was, he, he was lifted up while they were looking on. So they're check, he's talking, and all of a sudden, he's lifted up, right? And a cloud received him out of their sight. So they're watching him. He's ascending, you know, and then a cloud receives him out of their sight goes into a cloud. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, they're just tripping out. And while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They appeared as angels in the appearance of men, which happens a lot in the Old Testament. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? <laughs> That's funny. I don't know why things are striking me as funny today. This Jesus, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Isn't that amazing? By the way, when we're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, love these guys. They're lost. My heart breaks for these guys, man. Going door to door and they don't know. But they've been given a different Jesus. And, they, and they're taught that, you know, not only do they deny his physical res- bodily resurrection, they deny his bodily return. They said he returned already. You remember what year they said he came back? Well, yeah, 1914, 1918, 1925, 1975, over and over again. You're right. But the specific date they try to stick with now is 1914. Uh, say, well, he came back and he's here spiritually now. Since 1914, he came and he's here. Well, wait, he didn't come back. You guys were wrong about that day. Ah, he's here spiritually. Well, wait a minute. He's been here spiritually for 2,000 years. 
Jesus says, go to all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations, right? He says, lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. He's always with us, amen? He's in the midst of the candlesticks, which are the churches, right? He's always here spiritually, amen? But, so that's nothing new. But they diminish his second coming in glory where he comes bodily. And I love this. You know why? Let's look at the end, verse 11. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in what? In just the same manner, just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, you watched him go into heaven. He's come, bodily, he ascended into a cloud. Well, he's coming back in the same way, in the clouds, amen? And you'll see that same Jesus come back bodily. Amen, are you with me? Yeah. So important. So his second coming, he comes with angels also, not just his ascension. Now it's what about his second coming? Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will repay each one according to what he has done. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the what? Angels with him will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I love 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And it says that he, meaning Jesus, it says he's coming. Uh, he'll be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that do not know God and those that do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's going to come back with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Just angels is pretty, pretty scary, man. If you're on the wrong side of it, right? You don't know God. And those who do not obey, it says the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make sure you obey the gospel. And guess what? He, but he's coming in mighty, with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So there's all kinds of texts that say he's coming with angels. Now this is what I think is very, very fascinating about this subject. Because in Timothy it says, By common confession, greatest mystery of God is, He was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels. He's emphasizing that there's the angelic witness. There's the angelic testimony. There's angels saying, hey, he's risen. Amen. Hey, this oh, he sends, he's coming back in the same way. There's angels. There's all these witnesses. A lot of times we think of witnesses being, you know, the apostles. and Amen, they are, amen. But sometimes we forget the witness of angels that people talk to, you know. So this is a trip. Now, of not just the resurrected Christ, but the ascended Christ. Now, this is interesting. We see the angels show up at core times in Jesus' life. There's one time that's very significant that we do not see even one angel. Which is kind of interesting. Very interesting. One is that one time we don't see angels. That's a significant time in Jesus' life. Come on. Where? Sorry? At the cross. No angels there. Yeah. I mean, Why? Why no angels at the cross? At his birth, at his, you know, all these other things. I won't retrace everything I just said, but boom, 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 boom. boom. They're over and over again. But you don't see angels at the cross. He could have called them. Now, you're honest, son, brother. He could have called 12 legions of angels. Could have called thousands of angels, right? To save him. To what? Save to save him. Because... He didn't go to the cross to be saved. He came to, went to the cross to save us. Amen. And, he, and nobody was going to be able to help him. He could be encouraged and strengthened in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the, in the wilderness, and so forth. But the scriptures say on the cross, in Matthew 27, 46, what do he say? My God, my God, why hast thou what? Forsaken me. Why would there be angels attending to him there? Because it's there that he's taking what? The wrath of God. Do you get it? That's because he was suffering the wrath of God. In Hosea 13, 4, it says, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Isaiah 43, 11, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. There's no Savior. He's the only one that could save us. And then Isaiah 63, 5, I looked, and there was no one to help. No one could save us. And he says, So my own arm, my own arm brought salvation. He did it by himself. And angels were not sent there to minister to and encourage him at the cross because it's there that he was to partake of the wrath of God. Because it, those who reject what Jesus did on the cross and bear the wrath of God that we deserve, we're not going to be in hell with angels encouraging us. Don't worry, you can endure this. No, 
There'd be no help. We would have suffered on our own because we rejected the suffering that he did for us. That's why there were no angels there because he was there to die for our sins by himself and to bear the wrath that we deserved. Do you understand that? I think it's really fascinating. Next on the list, next on the list, he was preached or proclaimed among what? The nations, man. He was proclaimed among the nations. God uses angels even to communicate. An angel preached the everlasting gospel in Isaiah four, or Revelation 14. In Isaiah, or in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, it says he sends forth his angels to minister to those who inherit salvation. But that's not the primary means God uses to bring forth the gospel. Amen? They, they preached good news to the shepherds too. By the way, I think those are really cool scriptures that I just mentioned, the three of them, because they show you that God's not hamstrung, that God has means by which he can get to people. Amen? But what's the primary means that God uses to proclaim the gospel to the nations? Who said what? Us. Us. Amen? You know, we're, we're commanded to go, right? The Great Commission is not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, maybe you should go and be witnesses for me. What do you guys think? Oh, you decide. No, it's not like that. We're commanded to be witnesses for Christ. Go, he said, in all the world, and be my witnesses, right? And preach the gospel to all the nations, right? Make disciples of all the nations. And nations is all the different ethnic groups, he's saying, every one of them, right? And teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's when he said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And I love that he says right before that, I love, I love, I love, I love that he says, I'm with you always in the age. We need that encouragement, amen? But right before he says go, he says all power, all power in heaven and earth. And it's not the word dunamis, which is like the dynamic power, like the dynamite power, miraculous power that can refer to that. It's exousia, which refers to power meaning authority. All authority is given me in heaven and earth. He's given us authority over the demons. And we see they're at work, but keep in mind, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. God before us, who could be against us? We're supposed to be proclaiming the good news. We're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. And don't forget the mission that you're on. I've, I try to remind you, there's a few reasons, only two or three reasons, a few reasons that God left us on this planet, right? One is to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus, amen? To test us, there's, a, there's more than two or three, but there's some good reasons. One is to test us, right? One is to uh, sanctify us and make us more like Jesus, right? One is so we can, you know, share love with our brothers and sisters and build them up in Christ. That's another good reason. That's all things you should be doing. But one of the main reasons he left us is so we could be what? His hands and his feet were the body of Christ, and we could now spread the good news of Christ. It says, as he is, so are we in this world. That's, that's in First John. As he is, so are we in this world. Well, what do you mean, as he is, so are we in this world? We're his hands and his feet. He uses us now, right? And now we are the ministers of reconciliation, which we've talked about a number of times. Are you witnessing? Are you sharing the gospel? We have all kinds of opportunities to get the gospel out, guys. Okay? I mean, we just got a mailer out. We shared the gospel with most of Simi Valley. Very clear gospel presentation. Not sure who all read it, but I'm sure a lot of people did. You know? We just had over 40 people go out witnessing from our fellowship, street witnessing a few weeks back, a couple weeks back. We're going to be doing more and more of that. Amen? And there's all kinds of times where... But you know what? I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't think it's wise to sit around and think... Oh, someday I'm going to share the gospel. No, man, you can share right now. Just get some tracks. Keep them on you, you know. You're at a restaurant. Leave a track for the waitress, you know. Talking to somebody at work. Leave a track for them. Try to talk to them, you know. Just plant some seeds. Live the gospel before them. But don't fall for, well, yeah, I just live the gospel. I don't preach it. I preach it by the way I live. You need to preach it with your mouth, too, okay, you know. Because I don't see the Apostle Paul saying, well, I just try to be a good example. Peter's like, I preach the gospel by the way I live my life. No, they proclaim the gospel, amen? So let's proclaim the gospel. Let's preach the good news, man. We've got, we've got the, the best news ever. And, and I love it, man, because uh, remember 3.15? Go back to 3.15 in 1 Timothy, if you're in Timothy still, if you're close by. But in case I am delayed, Paul says, this is verse right before the one we're studying, but in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the what? The church of the living God. We're the household of God. This is your family. Now you have earthly families, and those earthly families are important to you, okay? Now sometimes in your earthly family, you know, 
Uh, Jesus said, don't think in John, or Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. A man's foes shall be, or his enemies shall be they of his own household. And mother will be against daughter, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. He brings the sword of the Spirit, not a physical sword, but the Word of God. So even our earthly families, families sometimes can disown us because we've turned to Jesus. That's happened to millions of people through the years. But the really good news is that we have a household, right? And we belong to the household of God. We, we, we are brothers and sisters. That's, that's, that's your spiritual family. That's your eternal family. The objective is try to win people in your earthly family to the spiritual family. Amen? So then they're twice your brother or twice your sister, right? But I love this because he goes on to say right in the middle of the verse, after he says the household of God, he says, which is the what? The church of the living God, the what? The pillar and support of the truth. Amen? We had a couple, what, a couple weeks back we studied that. The church is a pillar and a support of the truth, the gospel. The truth, the word of God, amen? That's our mission. We need to know who we are and our identity so we function the way we're supposed to. You are supposed to be upholding God's truth, supporting his truth, sharing the gospel with people. I am, we are together. And it's great that we have, we're, we're teammates and we're family, amen? Yeah. I can't save the hand, I have no need of you. We all need each other. We're, no, we're, all, we're, we're all important in God's kingdom, but we're not indispensable, a, a branch that doesn't abide in the vine can be cut off, thrown away, and burned. The other branches will grow in its place. Okay? So we can't think that we're anything outside of Christ. So let's get, get on with sharing the good news. And, uh, and you know what I love about that is I love the fact that I love the fact that the gospel is spreading throughout the world. Prophecy is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Man, Joe, I love a lot of what you're sharing, but man, you talk a lot about sharing the gospel. We're ministers of reconciliation. You repeat that a lot. Yeah, because I have to remind you. Amen? I have to remind you because there's new people that need to know who they are and what they're going to be doing. And guess what? How easy for it is it to lose focus on our mission. Amen? We start going through a crisis or we get busy at work. We get focused on this or we get on this treadmill or I'm, I'm dealing with this. And it's like walk in the Spirit, it says, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If people would just serve Jesus more and say, I want to be a witness more. I want to go witnessing. I want to show the gospel more. You know? And start getting busy with that. They'd find there a lot of the sins they struggle with going away. I'm, I'm not kidding, because it says, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Get busy with Jesus. Get your serve on, amen? And if you're serving and you're going forward, you're not walking backwards, because you're serving the Lord, amen? And I love the fact that we get to preach the gospel, because you know what? There's so much bad news in this world, right? Isn't there? I mean, you watch the news, it's almost all bad news. But praise God, there's really, 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 really good news the euangelion, the good news of the gospel. And just like Jesus said, it would spread throughout the entire world, right? Isn't that awesome? It's spreading just like he said it would. He said every nation, he said preach the gospel. He said this in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then what? The end will come. So when you're having a struggle, a bad day, just say praise God. The gospel is going forward today. People are getting saved today. God's plan's marching forward. The good news is spreading, even though I've got some bad news in my life, even though I'm going through a struggle right now. Amen? The gospel is still... I remember my wife, Lisa, was going through a horrible trial, you know, dealing with physical uh, uh, stuff in her life, you know. And pray for her. She's doing, going through some stuff right now, too. She has, like, inflammation. They can't understand where it's going from. She's in a lot of pain. It's hard for her to sleep at night. So if you pray for my wife, I'd really appreciate that. And, uh, but, and, and uh, so it's just interesting because... And pray for Greg as well, Greek, Greg Drinkall. He had this very serious back surgery, and he's in an incredible amount of pain, too. You know, I just prayed with Sister Mary, uh, one of our other secretaries today, for her husband, Greg, and for, we prayed for Lisa, too. As I was saying goodbye to the guys and, or leaving, we did a podcast, and, or we did an interview today uh, with, with somebody. And as I was leaving, I, you know, I'm like, wow, they're both going through some stuff. But she was going through a lot of pain, you know, or a lot of, lot of I should say, you know, thinking her cancer was back, all kinds of things. And she, Lisa is a very tough tough person, okay? If you know my wife, she's incredibly tough. I'm blown away by her. And uh, she's dealing with this pain, not being able to sleep, taking care of her dad right now, helping with the church, all these things. And she doesn't, people don't even see what she does so off, so awesome uh, in the way she serves the Lord. But she's in a lot of pain lately. And, but she was in some thinking that her cancer was back. And we don't know that it is for sure or not right now. We're dealing with it. One test says yes, one test says no. So we're dealing with it. But what's interesting is when we were in Costa Rica, she got in a funk. And Lisa, I rarely ever see in a funk. She was just kind of down a little bit, you know. 
because of what the news that she had heard. And you know what? We did a presentation and people were getting saved there. And all of a sudden she's like, and, and she just shared this recently, but she was so rejoicing again. She's in that funk for just two or three days or whatever it was. And all of a sudden she was rejoicing and everything was good. I go, praise God, you're doing really well. She goes, you know what? I just got to get my eyes on Jesus and getting the gospel out and, and how beautiful it is. And she just shared this yesterday or the day before again, you know. And uh, when we were talking to someone, I go, and I said, I love the story because she said, and then the Lord just used that. Which I think we were counseling someone and she was saying, and you got to get your eyes on Jesus. And she got her eyes back on Jesus and winning the loss. And all of a sudden, guess what? She stopped looking at herself and saying, woe is me. She started saying, woe are the people. They need Jesus. And since we're able to be part of that and participate and share the gospel, see people get saved, right? We're able to rejoice like the angels when even one sinner comes to repentance. She was rejoicing and seeing people getting saved. And she just said, I just need to serve the Lord. I'm telling you right now, I mean, there was a, a deal in France where there was all kinds of people in mental hospitals and stuff, and then a war started. I'm not going to go into the details because I'm way off my notes right now, but I'm doing okay time-wise, so I'm okay. So, uh, but but uh, they were all focused on themselves in mental hospitals. And then, well, I think it was World War II when the war started, man. Those mental hospitals almost emptied, and people got healed, many of them, overnight because they got their eyes off themselves their eyes were put on their, their, their siblings, their family members who were dying and going to war or in dire straits. And the enemy wants us to get focused on ourselves. But a wonderful thing you could do by way of application is spread the gospel. Be gospel-focused. Say, hey, I want my life to count. And even if you're not out there sharing and knocking on doors or witnessing at the mall or talking to your friend because you're like, well, I'm going home tonight. I wish I could do something now. You can. Pray for people. Amen? Pray for people. You know, my mom and I, we're, I drove with my mom up here today and, and we, were pray, I prayed, I, we prayed for different people and so forth. And then she goes, you know, I try to always pray for Biden and these guys. And, and uh, he's such a great brother in the Lord. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> I know I get any of you who are dozing off, you know. <laughs> you know. Did you guys hear what he said recently in a speech? Do you remember my message, how they're going after our kids? Did you see what he said right after that? Who do our kids belong Who? Who do the kids really belong to, all the children in America? They belong to the, us, the state. Woo, man. That made my blood curdle. I'm like, they do not belong to you. Get your hands off my kids, Mr. Biden. All the more reason to pray for them, though. So I'm like, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I was telling somebody recently, I think it was uh, Mike and Lori, the Winklers, that, you know, I have to, have to be honest. I go, that's one of my f ways I fall short in my walk not sometimes a lot in the past, is I don't pray for my, the political leaders enough. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, when you have Biden, when you have Obama, when you have Clinton, two terms, when you have Carter, I was in those years too, believe me, in the gas lines, you know, when I was a little kid. Can we please go to the toy store? You know, or whatever. I don't know what I was doing now. It's just like, but when I became a Christian, I do pray for the leaders, but I don't pray consistently daily for them as I ought to. Now I have been doing that more often. Uh, because I said that when we were in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and it says to pray for your leaders, because God wills that all be saved, come to knowledge of truth, amen? And Paul's saying that when Nero was reigning, who cut off his head later, right? Yeah. So pray for your leaders, amen? But pray for the lost. Jesus said pray. that the, He said the, the, the harvest is white in the snow. It's ready to be picked, but the labors are few. He said pray that the Father would send out labors. So guess what? You may not even be able to go far and wide and preach the, preach the gospel. But you can pray that God will send out labors, amen? So be just be gospel-minded. And guess what? When you start praying for God to send out labors, then you'll be more interested in seeing people saved. And then you'll start realizing there's all kinds of lost people around you, and God wants you to open your mouth, and he wants to use you, amen? And just say, Lord, use me. And I always say, you know, Mo, well, I, I don't know. I, can't, I have a hard time. I, 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 I stutter. That's what Moses basically said. I can't talk. The Lord says, Moses, I'll be with your mouth. Amen? And boy, was he ever with his mouth. And he was with him in some really radical ways. So God wants to use you, amen? So just be about your father's business. So uh, next, he was taken up in glory, amen? He was taken up in glory, wow, you know? So we, we've talked about uh, the angels saw that, right? Because we were talking about he was seen by angels, right? But we also talked about how the angels saw him ascend, well, the next thing on the list is he's taken up to glory, up in glory. That's his ascension. Listen to Ephesians 4.10. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Wow. Hebrews 1.3 says, who being the brightness of his glory 
And the express image of his person, that is Jesus, the express image of the Father's person, uh, or the exact representation of his person, another translation. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, when he died on the cross, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Eventually he ascended, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I love that. And the cool thing is, is that, are you a Christian? As a Christian, you identify with his death. When he died, you realize he died for my sins. That was my death. He died for me. Amen? And identify with his resurrection. Paul says we identify with his resurrection. When he came out of the water, that was a picture of what he was going to do with the resurrection. He did it. Now we come out of the water. It says when he came out of the water, that's our life. We now share in his life. Amen? Symbolically, the, the baptism is symbolic, but we share in his life. And you know what? He's also ascended, but you know the Bible says that our names are written in heaven. It says that we're joint heirs with him and that, our, that, that we are seated in heavenly places. Amen? Yeah. So this is all about our own walk to our own, who we are in Christ. It's beautiful. But I love this. He is in heaven right now. What is he doing in heaven? Do you think he's twiddling his thumbs? They went to prepare a place for us. Well, he's at work every day all around the world and the universe, you know. He's always at work by his spirit, amen. But in his resurrected body, he goes to prepare a place for us, amen. Praise God for that, amen. He's kind of busy in a way too, but he doesn't need to get up on his physical body and prepare a place for us. He says, remember he spoke the worlds into existence. But you know what else he's doing? He, somebody said it, he's praying for us. First John 1, 2, or sorry, 2, uh, 2, 1, my little children, these things have I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he says, don't sin. Don't ruin your life. But if you've blown it, guess what? And you blow it, don't, don't make it habitual because in First John later, he warns about habitual sin where you just rebel against the Lord. That's deadly. But in, he says, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's, the, the word advocate is defense lawyer, amen? amen? So he's defending us before the Father. He prays for us. And I love, listen to Hebrews 7, verse 24 and 25. But because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood, therefore he's able to save completely, or to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. Since he always, listen to this, since he always lives to intercede for them. So he's constantly, he lives forever, and he's going to constantly be praying for us. That just blows me away. Such a high priest truly befits us, one who is holy, innocent, undefiled, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Romans 8.34, who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus, it's he who died. And more than that, he was raised to life. And he's at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. That's three different authors. Paul in Romans 8, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 7, the apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, all emphasizing his ministry of intercession and praying for us. Amen. Jesus prays for you at the right hand of the Father. When you're like, man, doesn't God know what I'm going through? Doesn't he see the pain I'm in? The Father loves you. He sees even the sparrow. He cares about you more than little sparrows, right? Who are sold for just pennies. Cares for you much more. And the Son is praying for you. Amen? And even the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Amen? What a beautiful, beautiful truth to know. And he sympathizes with us, it tells us in Hebrews 7 as well. He's constantly sympathizing he understands what we're going through. He never sinned, but he knows what we're going through because he struggled. He faced temptation, and he realizes that we're weak, but he's there to pray for you. And he's, but the cool thing is he's praying, but he's also waiting to come back. Amen? And I want to talk about a few of the things in the, in the little bit of time we have left uh, so in, by way of application. He was revealed in the flesh. Revealed in the flesh. I don't want to spend a lot of time through that on that because that was the last week's message. But I do want to warn you to make sure you apply this to your own life. How foolish you are if you fall for a false Messiah sometime in your life. Paul warns about receiving a, or believing in a different Jesus in 2 Corinthians 11 because Satan comes an angel of light and he has false apostles. Right now we have the new apostolic reformation we interviewed a lady who wrote a book, a lady who was from Biola with a professor from Biola. We interviewed, we're going to interview her colleague later, but uh, so many people are succumbing. This is uh, considered the fastest growing movement on earth in the Christian church by many. 
And they're teaching that Christ comes back in the church, many of them. Or that we're going to take over the seven mountains, we're going to take over the earth before Jesus comes back. And there's all these weird teachings about, you know, that aren't biblical. And it's heartbreaking. But you guys, how many professing Christians, you know how many people said, oh, I was a Christian, but I became a Jehovah's Witness. That just breaks my heart. How could you believe that Jesus rose just as a spirit? Total contrast to Scripture. How can you believe he came back in 1914? which is a false prophecy, but then they said, oh, well, it was only a little false because he still came. Don't fall for these false Christs, amen? And don't fall for a false Christ during the coming deceptions because Jesus said, they'll say, I'm in the wilderness, don't go there. He said to his own apostles, who you think would know better, right? Well, he's warning them, saying that they will do false signs and wonders for false Christ shall arise and false prophets showing great signs and wonders, deceiving if possible, even the very elect of God. And then the very next verse, he says, behold, I'm warning you, I've warned you in advance. Don't go there. Don't follow. If they say, I'm in the secret chambers, don't believe it. Why? Because when the Antichrist rises claiming to be God, you'll know he's a liar. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, every eye will see him. Amen, Sister Diana. Like lightning shining from where? The east even to the west. You won't miss it. Every eye shall see him. You'll know it's him. Amen? Be you'll know it's him because if you're standing on earth and he comes and he says, hey, I'm Jesus, you'll say, nah. -uh. Because when he comes back, will be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? If you're not meeting him in the air, that's not him. Amen? Amen. So we just need to know these things. Uh, and like we said in Acts 1, the same Jesus that you saw in the same way will come back, that you saw visibly go, will come back in the same way. Amen? Remember that. It was vindicated by a spirit. Let's make sure we recognize it. How can that apply to our life? I wrestled with that. I go, Lord, how does this apply to our lives? Vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit vindicated who Jesus is Amen? He left testimony from heaven, the resurrection, and so forth. But guess what? The Holy Spirit still vindicates who Jesus is through our testimony because our lives are transformed. Amen? And the Bible says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Amen? Let the Holy Spirit use you. And also, you know how the Holy Spirit testifies about who Jesus is through you? By the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 is, I'm sorry, 22 and 23 is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, right? How is that a vindication of who Jesus is? Because guess what? The world can't change your heart, amen? Psychology and philosophy, people are left dead in their sins. They don't have the joy of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the love of God. But Jesus said that they will know that you are my disciples because of your love for one another, amen? So guess what? We can, just, we can vindicate, prove who Jesus is by letting people see that our lives are transformed. You know how many people trip out when they come around Blessed Hope Chapel? And they see brothers and sisters loving on each other and they say they've never seen anything before like that. I was just at a Christian wedding. I actually did the Christian wedding. And people were saying they, couldn't, they, they see people get drunk all the time at weddings. This is what the wedding coordinator said. This is what a couple other people said that were just serving at the wedding told people, they came and they said, wow, they were saying they never see, they say they see a bunch of weddings and people are always drunk. And one said they never did a dry wedding with no alcohol before. And they were saying, but they've never seen so much happiness and everybody just hanging out and loving each other like that. Just spending time having such a good time is the way they put it. It was amazing. Because we don't need the alcohol. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Praise God. He vindicates. He shows who Jesus is. They'll know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Amen? Well, proclaimed among the nations, you know. And uh, I've already touched on that a little bit and talked about a little bit of application by that way, but I want you to do this. When you are having a rough time, not only preach the gospel, but you know what? You have reason to rejoice. Like I was saying, the gospel is being preached. Praise God. But guess what you could also say? You could say, wow, I'm having a rough time, but exactly what Jesus said would happen is happening. And the gospel is spreading throughout the Americas, North America, United States, Canada, South and Central America and all those nations, it's spreading like wildfire. Amen. It's spreading throughout the, the Middle East. Iran even, right? A stronghold for Satan's kingdom in Islam. The gospel is spreading in Iran and throughout parts of the Middle East. It's spreading throughout China. It's spreading throughout the Orient, through the East. Amen. It's spreading throughout the continent of Africa. The all over Africa, man. The gospel is spreading. The gospel is spreading throughout Europe as well still. People are getting saved everywhere. And you can rejoice and say, praise God, man. God's program continues, and it will be done pretty soon, and then the end will come. And we could actually speed it up. How? Remember he said the gospel kingdom we preach in all the world's witness to all the nations, then the end will come? Well, that's our job. 
Well, that doesn't mean we can hasten it and speed up. Yeah, Peter says, hasten the coming of the day of God. When he says he's not slow, but he's waiting for all, as many as possible that will come to repentance. Amen. So we need to get on with serving him. And then the last thing, taken up into glory. How does that apply to us? Well, Romans 8.30 says this. Well, he's taken to glory, but guess what? He wants to be glorified in you. And guess what? You will one day be glorified in him. Think about that. What does that mean? You're going to be glorified. You have a huge future. You should get excited about it. Romans 8.30 says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Are you justified? That means you're saved by the blood of Christ. He also glorified. Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wow. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. He's radically glorified high above the heavens. And then it's interesting. Now this isn't, you're not going to share his glory and become the creator or become God. But guess what? He is going to pour out his love and glory and power upon you. In fact, it says in Isaiah 60, 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Who? He will be your everlasting light. And your God will be your glory. Wow. So we don't experience our own personal glory, but the glory of Christ. And we're glorified with his glory. And 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God. Wow. And it's, it's not appeared yet what we will be. But we know this, he says, that when he appears, that is Jesus comes back, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. Amen. Are you purifying yourself? Are you saying, hey, I want to be right with my God when he comes back or when I go to see him if I die before he comes back? We're going to be made glorious. How are we made, made, made glorious? Well, it says he's going to give us his light, right? And his glory. So it re, we read in Matthew 13, 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father, right? Forever. You're going to shine like the stars in the sky, it says. Or like the sun even. The, star, the sun is a medium-sized star. But the cool thing is, is even right now, the glory is already beginning from the inside out. Because we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we look to Jesus, as we study God's Word tonight, and we look at His Word, what happens? We're being transformed. We're being made more like Jesus on the inside. Yeah. Amen? Because the Bible says you become like that which you worship. Serve Him. And lastly, if you've got these, you're getting older, and you're like, you know, aches and pains are growing, or you're, and maybe you're not fighting aches and pains, but you're fighting temptations and tribulations, which everybody goes through, Right? Listen to this, Romans 8, 17 and 18 and 28. And if we're children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that God caused all things to work together for the good. For those who love God are the called according to his purpose. Amen. Praise God, you guys. We're marching toward glory. Just keep your hand on the plow. Don't look back. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we worship you and we exalt you. I pray if there's any lost people listening by way of live stream or podcast or, or just listening later or, or here today and they're not, they don't know you, Father, haven't been saved yet, haven't turned to Jesus, that they would recognize that he died for them and that he rose again, that he ascended, that he's coming back again and that they would know your word says that if we confess with our mouths that he is Lord and that we believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead, we will be saved and that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do that now in Jesus' name. Amen.